You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. The book of James is challenging, isn't it? It's going to get a little bit more challenging today because we're talking about words. And just so you guys know, um, full vulnerability here, I fail at words. <laughs> I fail at words. Uh, and listen, it's important for you guys to hear that, okay? You guys understand that we're all in this journey with Jesus together, and that we're all walking this. And the only way that we change, there's two ways that we change, that we change primarily when we listen to the Word of God, that we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we become obedient. And sometimes the Word of God challenges us. It smacks us in the face almost and says, listen, this is what your life is at. This is where God wants your life to be. And in those moments, you know, it's like we have a decision, isn't it? We have a decision to make to say, are we going to change or are we going to put up a wall that says, no, I'm try to justify who we are. But what God wants to do and his purpose in those moments is to bring out something beautiful in us. See, because for some of us, the gift of God in us is like a piece of coal that God is polishing and perfecting into a beautiful diamond. And when we hit these moments, God's heart is to challenge us so that he can transform us. And the second way that we grow is in places like this, when we have relationship with one another, as we begin to challenge one another and grow and encourage one another. So I just want to encourage you today that as we begin this message in James chapter 3 to to not allow our defenses to stand up, to not use a checklist of sorts in our, our thinking or our heart to say how we match up, please don't do that. And really the Lord, I felt like the Lord just kind of, even in my own life, impressed that on me and said, listen, Andy, I don't want you to hold up a checklist to say, here's what you're doing well and here's what you're maybe failing at and saying, which line, which side's greater. But if we will just simply put all that aside and just say, Holy Spirit, we're going to let you speak to us through your word today. I believe there's going to be a powerful transformation that takes place. And it's going to be seen through our words, but Jesus actually connects something much deeper than words because words are just the surface there's going to be a transformation of our heart. And see, that's powerful. When God gets the opportunity, the Holy Spirit gets the opportunity to transform our heart, something beautiful takes place. So let's just agree to that today to say, Holy Spirit, we're going to let you speak to us the way you want to. We're not going to put up any kind of defense or anything like that. We're going to come to your word and let you challenge us by your word because we know that as you challenge us, you transform us and you perfect us. James is a beautiful book in the Bible because it takes something and it deals with something that is so necessary in our life. It's what faith looks like almost on a daily uh, basis. In James chapter 1, we talked about the reality that we go through hard stuff in life. There's not one person here that has not been through something that's been difficult. Something you've had to navigate, make decisions on your reactions and and how you're going to express yourself, what you're going to do. Fear may have hit you, different emotions hit you, and you have to choose, am I going to be uh, driven by my emotions, or am I going to choose to listen to what God says? Every person here has been in that place at some point in their life, and James talks about that. What do you do when life gets tough? And the only choice we have, really the choice we have, is to to choose to believe that God is not absent in those situations, but acknowledge that even though he didn't bring it, he's going to use it to perfect, to to make something in us whole. But the only way that's going to happen is if we look to God and say, we need 
wisdom. And when God speaks, we obey. In James 2, we talk about how mercy triumphs over judgment. And oh my goodness, if there is ever a message that needs to be heard in the United States today, it's James chapter 2. And James approaches it from this this reality that in, in our lives, we've either all judged or been judged by someone. And he talks to the church and he says, listen, you look at people, the way that they're dressed and and how they act, and you judge them, but it shouldn't be so with you, dear brothers and sisters. No, because here's the truth that you're supposed to live under, that mercy triumphs over judgment. See, every one of us, we're all in the incapable position of our sin. But mercy came in, and mercy isn't something that we can give. It doesn't originate from man. It is a God characteristic. And God showed mercy first at the very beginning of time. And when we choose to live under the revelation of mercy, what takes place is that it becomes redemptive, meaning this, that mercy will begin to overcome words of judgment and things of judgment, not just in our life, but in the people around us. How many of you here believe that you're not at the place you work by accident? And you're certainly not in the family that you live in by accident. And that there are people there that are dealing with insane judgment that has been heaped on their life. And what God has put you there in the middle of that situation is to be mercy and to show that the mercy of Jesus can overcome judgment from the world. That's authentic faith. How do you live it out? In James chapter 3, it just takes another dive right there to the practicality of our faith when it talks about words. And I want to start in James 3, verse 3, and we're going to read down through verse 12. And if you don't have your Bible or you don't have an app on your phone, that's okay. The words will be on the screen and you follow along with us. In verse 3, it says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Hoo-hoo. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, let's just pray and go home. (laughs) And that's, that's tough to swallow right there. That's pretty direct and just pretty in your face. But here's what James is saying. Here's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Words are powerful. Now, I know that sounds simple, but I really want you to get a handle on that. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to make that alive in your heart. Words are powerful. See, in words, we have the ability to bring death. 
or we have the ability to bring life. Words can either bring death or they can bring life. James uses a, a beautiful illustration that the tongue, our words, are, is like a fire, a raging fire. Uh, my family and I lived in Southern California in the Los Angeles area, San Fernando Valley, for five years. And one thing that Southern California, SoCal, is very uh, accustomed to are, are wildfires. Every year, there were wildfires. Here's why. Is that in January and March, the Santa Ana winds would blow in. And the San Fernando Valley is an extremely dry area. And inevitably, every year, there would be somebody, an arsonist, who would come and start a small fire, normally around the Malibu area, where the winds were whipping off the oceans. And with just a small spark, a cigarette or a match, you could turn that into a wildfire. And I remember one particular year, and and, and these fires would be anywhere from 20 to 30 miles north or east of us, sometimes a little bit south of us. And we would see on the news as they would report them and they would bring out all the firefighters from all around, even parts of the different parts of the country would come and help with this. The big uh, airplanes that would come and dump the, the, the fire retardant that would try to kill the fire. We would see inevitably houses that were being burnt up. But one particular year, the fire got extremely close to where we were. Within a few miles, we saw the, the remnants of this fire that it had burned down these, these uh, actual um, patches, huge patches of forest on either side of the highway. And the fire would jump from one side of the highway to the other. The wind would pick it up and throw it over the highway and it would start burning the other side of the highway. And literally, you could be driving down the highway and see patches of fire burning on both sides of you. And this particular fire season, I was driving and one day, and you could always smell the stench of smoke in the air, but I began to see these, this, what looked like almost like snow falling from the sky. And of course it wasn't snow because it just doesn't snow in the San Fernando Valley. And I realized what I saw from falling from the sky wasn't snow but ash. And ash began to cover the cars and began to cover the houses. And the reality of fire, a fire, an extreme fire, a wildfire hit me full head on. It had surrounded the valley. And the only thing that was there to protect us besides a firefighter was the Pacific Ocean. It's a very sobering thing. And here we see the Holy Spirit saying this. The tongue, our words, are like a fire. Our words are extremely powerful. They carry weight. There's not one person here that in your life could not remember a time where a word has maybe negatively affected you. But in the same way that fire is extremely dangerous when it gets free and it gets wild, fire can also be a very beautiful thing, can't it? See, we've all sat around a cozy campfire and had some great experiences every day Most of us warm our food and cook our food by fire. It's fuel for us. It can be a very powerful thing. But what determines the value of fire is what controls fire. In the same way, what determines the value of your words is what ultimately controls your words. Or better said, who ultimately controls your words. And James uses this illustration because he wants us to know this very powerful thing. And for some of you, this is where it starts and stops today. That words are powerful. Start checking your words. 
Before they fly out of your mouth, think about what you're going to say. Why is this so? Why are our words so powerful? Because words give identity. James says it like this, that we have this duplicitous thing with our words that we praise God out of one side of our mouth, if you would. Have you ever heard anybody use the the saying, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth? Both sides of your head? (laughs) Right? And this is what James is saying. You're talking out of both sides of your head. You're you're using your words to praise God, but then you're cursing God's creation, who he loves. See, words create identity. I remember when I was in the eighth grade, I, I, it, middle school, I need the violinist to come back up and start playing a sad song. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? I discovered that I had a singing problem in, in middle school. So my beloved parents didn't initially introduce the contact lenses to my beautiful head. Instead, and when I tell y'all I had a seeing problem, you ask my wife. My glasses, whew, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're big, you know. I'm Mr. Magoo, you know. <laughs> hey. So in seventh grade, I got those glasses. And so as a defense, I got funny fast. Yeah. Because people would laugh at me, so I had to make it funny, right? You got this? And so I got labeled in the eighth grade as the class clown. And so people would say, Andy, you're so funny. You're the class clown. And I allowed that to stick into who I was. It wasn't until the Lord had to deal with my heart and, and fix some of the things about an identity that what he said about me. Here's my point, is that words create identity, don't they? See, some of you in your life, there's been some words spoken to you, even as a child, that have just kind of got in you. huh? It may be good words. You're beautiful. You're smart. Parents, this is the importance of words. Don't ever call your kids stupid. I shouldn't ever have to say that. I should never, ever have to say that. But please... In the name of Jesus, don't ever call your children stupid. And some of you have been affected by those harsh words. And James says, listen, this is the power of words. Words create identity. Not only that, but words create future. Isn't it funny that sometimes those words that have been spoken to us as a child become who we are? And the way James says it is like this, that there's the same way that a mighty ship cruises through and breaks the waves of an ocean by the simplicity of a small rudder, the tongue operates the same way in creating the future for us. And here's why James is bringing out this point. It's not to beat us up, not to put us under a spirit of condemnation, but for us to understand that there is a redemptive, powerful value to our words. Our words shape identity and our words shape future. So God obviously cares about our words, doesn't he? He cares about the things that come out of our mouth. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. He says, you make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or you make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognizable by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees here. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will give, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. See, God cares about our words. Not only are our words important, but God has a direction for our words. Our words tell the truth about what is in our heart. See, the reality of who we are isn't through meaningless communication and passing bys of when people say, hey, how are you doing? And we say, fine, and all that stuff. Where our communication comes out is when we're pressed, doesn't it? We find ourselves saying things, I'm angry, I'm mad, just, just acting out. Responding in a and from a place of our flesh. Why does that happen? Because the things that come out of our mouth are a reflection of what's in our heart. What comes out of you? Are you doubtful? Do you stand up and go, listen, Andy, I don't want to talk to you guys right now. I want to talk to me. Andy, do you stand up and confess Jesus as the healer? But when things get rough and there's a sign of of illness or sickness or a bad report, you become doubtful. Andy, do you, do you stand up and confess Jesus as your peace, but when things get fearful, you speak fearfully? Andy, do you confess love? What's in your heart? And Jesus, God cares about our words. He, he looks at them very seriously. But here we have James saying, listen, this is a real, real issue. The, what, what comes out of our mouth? But Jesus begins to give us a key on what needs to happen in order for our words to change. See, in order for our words to change, it's very simple. Our heart must change. Our heart has to change. See, words become very powerful for the purpose of redemption. So James he sits here and he goes, listen, here, here's the issue. That no matter how bad words are with you, Here's what I want you to know. God has a solution. That even though our words may be out of control, God has a solution. And he goes on and he talks about this further into James 3. In verses 13 through 18. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds and their humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Here's what James is saying. In order for your words to become redemptive, in order for them to carry the purposes of God on them, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to change your heart. And here is what the Holy Spirit must do. And it's very, very important. Here, is the, here are the areas that the Holy Spirit must control in our heart. James talks about them. Our pure speech. There has to be a purity in our speech. The things that come out has to be pure. 
They have to reflect the purity of God in them. Our speech has to be peaceful. When you get into a situation where you have been wrong, what are you doing to diffuse the situation and to bring peace back into the situation? How many of you guys have been watching the debates? Don't raise your hands. All right, I know we all are, right? We are seeing a prime example of what that is not, okay? Do opposite of what you're seeing in all the debates. Sorry, it's just what's out there right now. See, because here's what's needed in your workplaces, in your homes. Here's what's needed with your children, your grandchildren, is that when situations hit the fan, when voices are elevated, that somebody steps in and speaks peacefully. This is what you need with your spouse. That you allow peaceful conversation, peaceful speech. But see, here's the reality is that purity and peace can't come out of your words if they're not in your heart. Another thing James says is this, let your words be considerate. Are your words considerate? Are you considering what people, the people that you're talking to that God's put you in the middle of, are you considering them as you speak? Are your words filled up with you? Is it I, me, me? One of the best ways to break that in our life is to begin to consecrate our hearts to the Lord and begin to say, God, fill my heart with your love. Because as the love of God fills our heart, what happens is that our words will become considerate. This is what James is saying. James says this also, that our words must be listening. We must listen. Isn't that funny? Here's what listening means in conversation with your tongue. Stop talking. Scripture says this, be slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to wrath. Justin, come on up, bud. I don't know about you guys, but that's really hard for me. Sometimes my wife, who is a tremendous person, will go, when it, <laughs> I've got tails. When I start rubbing my hand, I'm about to tell you all a story. <laughs> I rub it behind my back. I'll be sitting at a soccer game. Or at the house. I just tell her, baby, I burn hot. I just burn hot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, just, I'm a passionate man. I'm Italian. I'm not Italian at all. <laughs> She'll just put her hand on my thigh and go, shh. <laughs> shh. Just don't talk right now. <laughs> That's wisdom. That's good wisdom. Can I, can I just be loving and honest to you guys? There are things that are in your heart that just don't need to be said. People don't need to hear them. I'm talking to me, okay? I'm just, Andy, those are, that's for you. But you know, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing about a listening uh, speech is this, is that a listening speech is, is not going to be developed in your talk unless it's developed in your heart. You know how to develop a, a listening in your communication? Start with the Lord. Start listening to the Holy Spirit. You know why we just let things run out of our mouth? And it's because we don't ever stop and spend any time with the Lord. We don't stop and we say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to say to me, Lord? And listen. And let the Lord speak to us. Hey, I just want to, Andy, I just want to love on you today. I just want you to know that I'm peace to you today. Because as we cultivate a listening heart, 
with the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to change that in our heart, then we're going to become listening in our communication. Here's why that's important, and it's not just important with your spouse. It's really important with your spouse, but it's not just important there. It's important with your kids, but it's important in your workplaces. See, there's some folks that God's put next to you, and it's not, again, by accident that, you know what, they just need somebody to listen to them, but listen to them through the perspective of heaven. The next thing that James says is that your speech needs to be merciful. It needs to be merciful. That out of our mouth, there needs to be the mercy of God that comes out. And again, go back to James 2 to understand why mercy is so important. See, isn't it something, and listen, I I don't want this to be a bang-up message. I don't want that, but, but it's important. It is important today, as believers in the United States, for us to hear the Word of God and change according to the Word of God, not the standard of the world. It's so easy for us to give our opinion, even not in words, but maybe on social media. And if your opinions, however they come out, are absent of mercy, you are not lining up with what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing. Our speech has to be merciful. It's funny because James calls the opposite demonic. Does that shock you at all? Then when we don't allow these things in the Holy Spirit to, to put revelation of these things inside of us, come on, it's time to wake up to this, guys. And when we don't do that, the opposite is demonic. It's not just, oh, oh, it's okay, it's just who you are. Pause. So, recently, there's a few parables in the New Testament, there's a few parables in the gospel that Jesus gives that deal directly with with end time things. And one of them is the parable of the wedding feast where we know the parable where they set out a beautiful feast but nobody shows up, right? So the master goes, go into the highways and the hedges and the byways and compel them to come. But they don't have the right things to wear. Tell them to come in anyways. Come on. Get them in the door. And let me give you a very general, loose meaning of this. It's an end time parable, meaning this, that as we get closer to the end of days, here's what's happening, is that there is a need for people to see the body of Christ, men and women of God, to begin to see the need for the redemption on the earth today. It's not about church order or design or organizational structure. What it's about is that there, the truth is that there are lost and dying people in the world that you know. And the Spirit of God is saying, go look for them. And the way that they're going to hear is through your words. So let your words be merciful. Let them be sincere. And it starts in our heart. When we fall short in these areas, our response is still the same because ultimately none of these things originate from us. They originate from the Holy Spirit. And so we go back to that place. If our speech isn't merciful, if it isn't kind, if it isn't listening, then we say, Holy Spirit, help me. I can't do this in my own ability. Holy Spirit, 
help me. Become the righteousness of God in me concerning mercy in my speech. Become the righteousness of God in me concerning listening. Toward compassion in my speech. Holy Spirit, help me. Four areas in our life that we need our words to be redemptive. And if you're taking any notes today, please write these down. This is where the rubber meets the road here. Some steps that we can take walking out of here. And please understand, we're all in this journey together, but it matters. It matters. Because there are people out there that Jesus loves. Oh, man. The first area is, is this, in areas that need healing. For some folks here today, you're sitting on very icy situations in some of your relationships. Here's a good first step. Ask the Holy Spirit to make your words, words that, of healing. If you find yourself in that area, the first thing that you need to do is repent. Say, God, I fell short here in my words. Maybe you said something to your spouse that was hurtful. You responded out of your flesh. Before you repent to her or him, it'll go and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I let that get out of hand. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, put that love and mercy back into my life. And then go and make things right with your words. But you know, here's something else that's beautiful about the book of James. James 1.22 is that the sincerity of your words, again, come from the overflow of your heart, which means this. You have to back up your words with your actions. Don't just say something, do it. But in every one of us, some of you need to start the conversation with somebody. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a neighbor. There's been some things that have happened that have broken relationship that have caused a wound or hurt and where our words come in and become redemptive immediately are in areas of healing and it has to happen. The second place is in our, in our praise, in our worship. That some of you, maybe you don't cultivate a time with your words where you spend worshiping the Lord through the week. I'm not talking about here or on Wednesday nights, but it needs to be a part of your everyday life where you're cultivating an attitude of praise and worship. In Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, it says this, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we choose to let these things be an overflow of our heart and come off of our lips, what we're doing is that we are cultivating more of that. As we choose to say thank you to the Lord, we're cultivating an attitude of gratitude. When we choose to say, Lord, I love you, we're inviting more of the love of the Lord into our hearts. When we choose to say, Lord, I'm going to obey you, obedience becomes something that is cultivated and sown in our hearts. It can't be something that's done just on Sundays. It has to be part of our everyday life, and it has to be words that we speak out of our mouth, things that come out audibly out of our mouth. And I heard, Lord, I love you. I can't carry a note in a bucket. But there are times I got to get in the shower. I got a radio in my shower. It's kind of cool. I'll just turn it on. I'll just, man, just, you got to worship. You got to do it. You got to get it. Maybe it's on the way to work. 
Just say, Lord, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness in my life. Thank you for my family. Lord, I worship you because you are mercy to me. Thank you for your mercy that's been evident. Thank you for saving me while I was a sinner. You know, you don't let that come out of your mouth. You're not too mature of a believer to, stop, to, 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 to go back to that place and say, thank you for saving me from my sins. I didn't deserve it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my future. Thank you for what you're calling me to. Thank you that every good and perfect thing comes from you. In your mercy, when you saved me from my sins, you called me into righteousness. Thank you that my best life is in front of me. Thank you, Jesus. The third area that we need to use our words to be redemptive is with our future. With our future. And here's how you do that. Some of you in your lives, you need to speak life over your marriage. You need to speak life over your job. You're not in a crummy job. You're going to turn that crummy job into a world-class business. Your marriage isn't broken. Your marriage is growing and getting stronger. And here's what, what keeps that from being fake and being cheesy. Is when you apply the truth of the word of God to your confession. See, if the scripture tells you that you're an overcomer, you can begin to confess that you're an overcomer. If the scripture says that you are, are victorious, you can confess that you are victorious. If the scripture says that the love of God, that nothing will separate you from the love of God, then you can confess that. If the scripture talks about covenant and God protecting the covenant of marriage, then you can confess that. But you've got to begin to speak it out. Why? Because you're going to say something about your future. Maybe it's, I don't deserve this, or things aren't going well. Change what you say. Because here's why that's important, and it gets past the place of selfishness. is because if you can catch a redemptive glimpse for your personal future, you can get it for somebody else. And the last place is this. You need to allow your words to be redemptive are with those who haven't heard yet. Those who have not heard the message of the love of Jesus Christ yet. And I started off today talking about your story. And for the next three weeks leading up into Easter, we're going to start another series. We're going to take a break from the book of James and we're going to dive into this. This new series called Redeemed to Redeem. And what we're going to do is we're going to discover how your story is not an accident. What God has done in your life is truly spectacular. It's probably more beautiful than you even realize. And here's why it's beautiful. is because it's beautiful because it carries the message of redemption that somebody needs to hear. Isn't it amazing? You see, here's what I'm so thankful about. I'm so thankful that I know a story about a Methodist preacher in the late 60s who got kicked out of the Methodist church because he took on and believed the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for today. And that he knocked on my mom's door and understood that his story wasn't just for him. See, because... I'm only a second generation Christian. 
He introduced my mom to the reality of the love of Jesus. And she fell in love with Jesus. And my dad, who got back from Vietnam, who was addicted to alcohol and was having PTSD, waking up in the middle of the night and running his fist through the, the wall of his bedroom. My mom said, the same Jesus that could touch this Methodist preacher that touched me can touch my husband and just, I don't know, maybe tricked my dad to go into church. It doesn't really matter. The, the, what matters is my dad went to church and in one meeting, not two, not three, not a month, not six months, in one meeting, he gave his life to Jesus and got set free from alcoholism and PTSD. And then, a few years later, I come around. And all I ever know is the reality, not of church. Oh, forget church. Know the reality of Jesus. Your story is important. Oh, wow. Don't give up on your story. Some of you, I just want to declare this over you. Some of you say, look, I don't know where my, my story is going. I haven't even thought about my story. Your story is powerful. Your story is not done. None of you, not, not until you take your last breath and you step over into the streets of glory is your story done being written. And can you imagine when you get a hold of that revelation and, and your story gets to to go out from this place and gets to go out of who you are and it begins to fall on the ears of the people that need to hear it and they say, if Jesus could do that for you, I know he could do it for me. Wow. Jesus wins, doesn't he? Let's pray. Father, today I thank you. I love you. Jesus, it's your name that's above every name and Holy Spirit, it's only by your power and by your strength that we move forward in righteousness. Concerning our words, Lord, that's such a, a heavy, big thing. But God, you intended it to be big and heavy. Something that, as a matter of fact, that we're, it's impossible for us to carry in our own ability. Holy Spirit, we have to trust you. And Lord, for every person here, including myself and friends, just where you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today you say, I need help with my words. My words fall short. They fall short of mercy and grace and the redemptive calling that God's put on them. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, all I want you to do is just slip up your hands. Thank you all over this place. All right. Put them down. Holy Spirit, you see our hearts. Begin to transform our heart right now. Fill our hearts with your mercy. Fill our hearts with your grace, the revelation of your grace. Lord, there's areas that we might need to repent, things that we've said to people that have hurt them. Lord, we repent. Lord, give us the strength to go back and to begin to heal those wounds. Father, for every word that's been spoken in somebody's life that's been an attempt of the enemy to set a bad identity or future in front of them. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to take hold of this. Some of you, there have been words that have been spoken to you. Even when you're a child, you're still... You may be 40, 50 years old and you're still holding on to those words. Something mom or dad said, somebody else said, teacher, whatever it is. I want you to, I want you to watch this, watch this. And you're just right now, where you are, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to set you free. 
if that's you right now, I just want you to come in agreement with me. Father, those words, those things that have been spoken that have brought pain and hurt, where the enemy has tried to set an identity, a bad identity, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, we break the authority of those words and the power of the name of Jesus. Now, Father, replace, Holy Spirit, replace those words with the truth of who you are, the truth of your love, the truth of your peace, your freedom, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we declare, Father, over those people that they are new creations in Christ Jesus, that the old, the old words, the old things that have been spoken, that that is gone, and things are now new, that they are a son, a daughter of God, that they are beloved of the Father, that they are perfect in your sight. As a matter of fact, you declare, God, that they are the apple of your eye. Begin to heal that area and put your identity in them in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've called us to, Lord, as, as individuals, Father, as a church, as this beautiful, wonderful church, Lord, Freedom Christian Fellowship. God, thank you for allowing us to line up with your redemptive value Lord, to bring those in who by your spirit you're speaking to. To use our words, Lord, to tell our story. Lord, to redeem, to understand that we've been redeemed to redeem. We love you, Jesus. Amen.